This is the Soul Savvyness Podcast. We're back. Another episode of host Q Lynn Green. And we have a very special guest on this podcast episode, a multi-talented music producer, artist, uh, instrumentalist. Uh, he's dropped three full-length uh, LPs. His latest one uh, came out in 2021 called Prism. Uh, one of my favorites. But yes, just all around great talent. Uh, introduced the amazing Mr. D Mills. Doing. Hey, <laughs> thank you for having me. <laughs> oh, no problem at all. Your, your background um, is so interesting. I just want to get, I usually jump in straight into, uh, I call it the the uh, the artists. So I try to get into the, the. I, I know a little bit about started when you were six, when you were a teenager. I want to know mm-hmm. in terms of, I know you had a different mesh of uh, genres that you love, like blues, rock. R&B and uh, all different styles of genre. I want to know, was there any musician or artist or anybody, any artist or musician or band in particular that you gravitated to when you were a kid? Oh, man. Well, like when I was a kid, like before I became a musician? Mm-hmm. Just listening? Um, yes. My parents always told me the first thing that they remember me like dancing to as a kid was James Brown. Okay. So stuff like that. Michael Jackson was played a lot. Um, all the oldies, just like whatever was played in my house, you know, I kind of liked what was already being played, like a lot of uh, like Al Green and, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, like those kind of records, you know, were played in my house a lot. So, but I, I listened to everything. My dad, he liked a wide range of music from like jazz mm-hmm. to, you know, classic rock, you know, hip hop and everything in between. So um, I kind of grew up pretty eclectic when it came, you know, to music and what kind of music I, I like to listen to. And it kind of pours out to some of the stuff I create, too, because of that. Is there a reason why I say that? Because certain people pattern if they hear a certain style of music. They, as they grow, as they're in their musicianship, they kind of gravitate towards that music. Was there any genre in specific that you started gravitating to as you started getting interested to play music? Um, I guess um, on a production side, it would be more hip hop and mm-hmm. R&B because I was really into like uh, the producers who made a lot of the music that I like to listen to, like especially as a teenager and stuff. So there's always kind of like that kind of background and that underlayer. And there's also like a big jazz kind of underlining thing, too, because when I was learning how to play, the first instrument I started on was piano. And when you learn how to play, it's kind of like you either fall more into the classical world or the jazz world. And I kind of fell more into the jazz world. So um, I guess that if that answers your question, those kind of things kind of set a bed for a lot of the stuff I ended up creating. And reason why I said your musical is interesting because usually people start out playing music, I guess, honing that skill, like in early ages, like four or five years old, you know, yeah. you see some uh, musical prodigies, you see them 
start when they're three or five, you know, or 10 or 11. And so when you said 16, I related to that because that's when I started to a full-time musician around that age and didn't even realize I wanted to do it. So your story, I learned the, I learned the drums first when I was like nine. And then I kind of just was like playing around with it when I was in school, but I didn't start taking it seriously. Transition to piano, but get back to you, you playing piano. Was there um, an age to where you specifically, or did it start at 16 or was it, did you start, would the, the idea come to fruition when you were 16 or were you pursuing that instrument at a younger age? So I guess to be fair, like the first musical kind of thing I had, I played like kind of like in a march band, like in elementary school, okay. like a tom drum and a marching band kind of thing mm-hmm. with a drill team and all of that. I did that, but I just, it wasn't like I wanted to be a musician yet. It was just something I did. And then I guess where the, I didn't know it at the time, but I guess the spark for performance and creating came. I did a talent show around that same age. And in the talent Mm -hmm. show, um, I decided to rap. And Mm -hmm. I didn't have, it wasn't like today where you can just easily access beats and just be like, rip something and then bring it in. I remember my dad would have these instrumental jazz CDs and a lot of it was probably smooth jazz because they had like a really consistent beat. So I found Mm -hmm. whatever song had the most consistent groove. And I took that to school and I I practically freestyled over it. I literally Mm -hmm. just freestyled for the talent show. I remember when we did the rehearsals, the teachers would always go, you know, they'd be like, Daniel, that's really nice. But, uh, um, you, you change your words every single time you do it. And I'm like, yeah, I thought that was the point. I thought that's what rap was. I was like, that's what you're supposed to do. you know. And I ended up getting like second place in that talent show. And I lost to like my friends who did like a really dope choreographed dance routine to uh, Leah mm-hmm. try again, mm-hmm. which they deserved it. They, they killed it. I was surprised I got second place, but um, that was kind of the first thing. And I remember when um they had these autograph books, when you kind of, you know, graduated out of elementary school to go to middle school. And people were writing my autograph book like, hey, I hope you make it as like a, a rapper or something. Like they were writing mm-hmm. stuff like that in my book. And that wasn't really on my mind yet, mm-hmm. like to be a right. musician until I was 16 when mm-hmm. I got more into production mm-hmm. and I wanted to learn uh, piano. So with learning piano at 16, where again, getting back to genre, I know you uh, study blues and jazz. Was there an instructor teaching you? Were you self-taught, or were did you take a class uh, when you yeah. were in school? So when I was in high school, we had an, uh, a piano elective. So my junior year of high school, I signed up for the piano elective, and that teacher, um, her name is Dr. Gail Serdan, and she's an amazing uh, piano and organist. And yeah, she kind of changed my life. She um, she um, taught me piano there, but I, even outside of school, she poured into me and she she became a real mentor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember when I didn't have uh, money to have gear, she loaned me gear. She gave me a couple pianos that were mm-hmm. hers, you know, so stuff like that. So I'm really big into what mentoring does because I know what it could do for someone because what she did for me, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, she 
tech that was my only kind of training into music was that year my junior year i took her piano class and in my senior year i was her ta so i was a ta for that same class so it's kind of like i got to hear the information again but i didn't have to do any of the work and then um yeah everything else that i've learned musically outside of that has kind of been somewhat self-taught or what i call like youtube university or you know <laughs> just being around other people you know it was there um this uh, this this podcast is for like super music nerds so whenever i'm asking you these the audience they can follow it. they love these kind of questions because oh, okay. i come musician perspective and so mine is very detailed so this one is specific in terms of like um when you were learning was there any key that you hated playing in and if you did did it help your uh, your playing in any way evolve? Um, I I don't think so. I don't think I really had like that problem, and and mm -hmm. it you know probably was because I learned early on to learn how to play in all the keys and to not use the transpose button on a keyboard, mm -hmm. and mainly was because you know I heard horror stories of. You know, people go, especially musicians, they play out of church or something, and they're used to playing on a keyboard with a transpose button. If you show up somewhere mm -hmm. and there's a real organ or a real piano or a real Rhodes, those instruments don't have digital things right. to transpose you. You got to know how right. to play when the singer go, we're going up. You got to know how to go <laughs> right. up. You know, you can't <laughs> exactly. press a button, you know. So I was <laughs> so afraid of being caught like that that I just learned how to play mm -hmm. in every key, you know. Right. Uh, okay. I didn't want to get caught in the rain, you know. <laughs> and, right. And when you said that in terms of uh, playing the piano in that first so you could compose in terms of producing and whatnot, uh, I heard Warren Campbell, uh, the phenomenal Warren Campbell, say that he said if you learn how to play the piano, you basically could conquer any instrument, bar, bass. And I'm like, that's 100% right because yeah, I played, I like I said, the drums – was first for me, but piano, that's when everything started clicking. And it's mm -hmm. like, okay, now I can hear the bass. Cause even the, the octave, the, the low octave on the piano, it's like, Oh, yeah. I can, cause I wanted to play the bass and it's like, you know what? I'm going to try to incorporate my left hand and play the bass notes. Like I'm playing it. Like if we don't have a bass player, I, I would right. turn ear to like a bass player or if I hear a guitar lick, like, Oh, let me learn that lick what he's doing mm -hmm. there. And, but yeah, uh, in terms of playing the piano, um, what made you want to branch out and play other instruments? Uh, did that just come naturally, or was that like a, a intentional thing to play multiple instruments? Um, I think it stemmed originally from, as a music producer, you only can play what you can play. And it's not, I think a lot of people get confused with uh, being a composer, like playing the, the music and production. You don't have to play anything to be a music producer at all. And it got to a point where when I needed like guitar and bass, for instance, I had to wait on other people's mm -hmm. availability. And I remember um, my roommate at, a time, at the time played guitar and bass. So I always had a guitar and bass next to me. So I started picking it up and learning and just fiddling, transferring all the information I knew from piano. That's the cool thing about piano. If you know the theory on piano, the information transfers the same. You know, the spacing is the same. It's just getting used to like a different instrument. Instead of playing like this, you got to play like this or whatever, you know, but the knowledge part of it is exactly the right. same. 
So I just applied all that information I already had onto the next instrument. And I, I, you just have to put in the time of getting comfortable on that new instrument. But once you get past that, the knowledge is the same. So mm-hmm. all the decisions that I was able to make on piano, I was also able to make on a bass and a guitar. And, you know, I taught myself drums and stuff, too. And it kind of stemmed from needing to get things done. You know, I just wanted to be able to do it. Not that I wanted to be like this guy that's like, oh, I'm, I'm, I can do everything by myself because I still love creating music with other people and playing with bands and stuff like that, too. But when you're able to, like, play exactly what's in your head, you don't have to compromise it. You could just do it. You know, you don't have to wait. You can just get out the idea exactly how you hear and how you want it. And be done with it, you know. Um, again, always because I always love how musicians develop their style. Was there? Um, I know you were talking about your upbringing and, and learning jazz and blues. Was there any like for just to put it in uh, retrospect, like the piano? Like I would say, jazz and blues chords are real good for the piano. Like certain piano driven. The guitar maybe uh-huh. more funk rock or country music good mm-hmm. guitar sounds with that the bass you can pretty much go with the same like uh funk jazz r&b yeah. was there anything um that you gravitate to when you play certain instruments like you rather play this like if you're playing a piano you rather play jazz or or mm-hmm. playing a guitar would you rather play you're more interested in playing more funk chords or or, or uh, uh, jazz or R&B yeah, yeah, chords on yeah. certain instruments? That's a good question. I think on keyboard, so I don't take a lot of, you know, because outside of making my own music, I do sessions and I do play with other artists too and collab that way. And I don't take a whole bunch of keyboard gigs anymore on purpose because I'm not a huge fan of, for instance, playing like a pop gig because right. it's very specific and you have mm-hmm. to play the exact notes and the exact sounds for the most part. Yes. Right. Um, so when I play keys, I want it to be fun for me. So I like to play genres like, uh, like jazz. I would rather play jazz because I can kind of be myself and put my own personality into it. Now with that right. same thing, I could take that same gig that I didn't want to do on keys and play it on bass. Because for some reason on bass, you can almost do whatever you want on any gig. Right. It's easier to put personality into it. And kind of the same thing with guitar, because in a lot of genres, guitar is extra. It's auxiliary. Mm -hmm. So anything you add on top, they're going to like. Unless you're playing rock or like something with very specific guitar parts, you know. Mm -hmm. But um, I always like to, and I think that's the artist in me. I, I don't like to just mimic what somebody else did i like to contribute to the sound and kind of contribute to um what's being created live if i'm gonna play live with people you know mm-hmm. especially if i'm not the music director in a situation if i'm a music director i kind of dictate what happens right right um, but if i'm coming in under another music director or work with somebody i mean obviously i'll do stuff if somebody's just like hey man we need to just play this and like that's fine you know i think everybody should be humble enough to just sit in a position and a job. But if I can have it my way, (laughs) I'm going to like make it fun for myself and do, you know, play the things I want to play. What, or was there a certain age to where you wanted to pursue it full time? 
yeah, I think I knew that music is was all I wanted to do very quickly after like starting that piano class. So I think it was 16 as well, where I said, um, you know, because I didn't know what I wanted to do before that. I thought I had ideas of little things like, oh, that could be cool. But music was the only thing that felt sure. Like it felt like this thing actually, I feel something every time I do it. And I know I'm not good yet, but I know if I work hard, I can make this like I could keep this feeling going forever, you know, and, you know, take care of myself and my family with it. So. I knew pretty early I had my my heart and mind set on it pretty fast, like probably faster than my parents would have liked or anybody else, you know, who cared about me. They're like, dude, you you barely just started. You already don't want to do anything else. You don't want to consider that. Right. You know. So what was your your first like? What was what what age was in in? What was it like your first time being on a stage or a show? Um, outside of that talent show when I was younger. Mm-hmm. So yeah. outside of that, I remember my piano teacher, uh, Gail Serdan, she put me, I wasn't in jazz band, but she put these jazz like ensembles together mm-hmm. for certain programs. And I think even before that, what I'm about to tell you, I think we just had piano recitals where we'd have to take a piece that we were learning and perform it in front of everybody. And even just doing that was like, everybody's paying attention to you right now. Everybody's just listening to what you're going to do, you know, Mm -hmm. and then, you know, they're going to critique it. That was crazy. (laughs) And then she would put these like kind of quartets together. I remember um, I had to play. And I don't even know why I was playing this. I, this is probably beyond <laughs> beyond the level of musician that I was within one or two years, whatever it was at the time. But um, I don't know if you're familiar with Dave Brubeck, but Dave Brubeck is a he's a jazz piano, and he his most famous song is a song called uh, "Take Five. It's like bun like like most people have heard that song, like just played somewhere in the mm-hmm. background. But his mm-hmm. album is called it's an album called "Time Out." And the whole album has weird time signatures. Like nothing's in 4-4, I don't think, on the whole album. So I was playing this song called Three to Get Ready. And she put a jazz kind of ensemble together with other musicians in the school. And everyone else but me had been playing for a while. And I had to play the piano for that song in front of like Mm -hmm. a whole auditorium of people. And I remember... Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) Looking back at it, it's hilarious. I think I I had like sunglasses on. I was I was like trying to be that cool jazz musician. Feeling yourself. I, right. Yeah, I was like, oh, I'm finally I got a got a little thing, you know. Um and I, don't, I don't know how I was able to play that song because it's super weird, like how you count it. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I think that was my first time really kind of playing, doing something that I watched someone else do at one point and admired, and then I got to do it myself, you know. Um Getting into that in terms of, um, you know, it's like a, a, I feel like a discipline is like the main factor in being a full-time musician. And I think a lot of people's, a lot of musicians uh, issues is that they don't know typically what it is they want to do. So many ways you can uh, thrive in the, in the, in the field, like backing musician, touring musician, 
You want to be a session musician? You know, it's different. I think a lot of them struggle with that. I want to talk in terms of what was those different process? Because I know you've done multiple things in the in those uh, areas in terms of you know sure. session musician and all those things. What in terms of the discipline? How much does that play a factor in terms of your growth as evolving as a, as a musician? Um, it's pretty much everything. Like um, the only reason I was able to start doing music at sixteen and be working shortly after was because um, of the discipline factor. Like I remember um, around, so the later years of high school, when I decided music was what I kind of wanted to get into for real, for real, I remember locking myself in my room for hours. Like at times when uh, some of my other friends would be like, we're about to go to this party or we're about to go do this. And I'd be like, oh no, I got to figure out how to play this chord. You know, like I got to stay in here and, and figure this thing out. And I would just sit in my room and play. So I always felt like I was behind compared to some of my other peers. So I felt like I had to catch up. And when you feel behind mm -hmm. at something, you kind of have to put in the time. Whether I was actually behind or not, in my mind, I needed to catch up to these other people so I can get on their level. So I'm not always five, 10 years behind them when it comes to like being able to play and work professionally. So I had to be really on top of myself about practicing and just uh, learning and listening to a bunch of different types of music and just learning different styles of music and, and that whole world. Even when it came to when I um, started learning these other instruments, I had to make time in my schedule to say, okay, I'm gonna play this instrument for this amount of time or, or this instrument. Whatever my weakest thing is at the moment, I'll probably give that thing the most hours, but Mm -hmm. You have to kind of like make a priority to like just sit alone. I mean, or with a teacher, but a lot of times it was those moments where I would lock myself in just me and the instrument where I really discovered it. And I really unlocked a mm -hmm. lot of things because it's, it's like a relationship. The more time you spend with someone, the more you know them intimately and the more they share to you things about them and vice versa. And musical instruments are the same exact way. The more time you sit with something, I learn something new about everything I play almost every single time I sit down with it. If I spend enough quality time on that instrument, you know, I'll play something like, oh, wow, I don't, I've never thought to put this note with this note here or I find new chords all the time or something, you know, just because of the time that I spend with something, it becomes relational mm -hmm. and it becomes music can be a, such a give and take thing because the cool thing about playing an instrument which i feel sorry for people who don't play an instrument because they'll never get this feeling is as soon as you play something as much as it's a a gift to the listener it's a gift to you first so as soon as you play something to yourself you get to receive immediately um what you're doing you know so that's the cool thing about you know that whole thing Um, when you're playing an instrument, the more time you spend with it, the more you you get exactly what you put into it. Like if you if you want to learn certain chords because you like the way they sound, you know, you work to learn those things. You work to learn certain voicings. And when you play it, the reward isn't the gig you get from knowing that stuff. The reward isn't the paychecks you get. The reward is why other people are willing to pay you is because it sounds nice and it feels nice and it's healing. And as soon right. as you play those things, 
you receive immediately what you're supposed to receive. Now, Mm -hmm. later on, you know, other people are going to want that feeling, too, because they can't do it for themselves. Because if everybody could play music, Mm -hmm. there would be no work. (laughs) But because (laughs) other people, they want to experience what you get to experience first. That's how you're able actually to make a living doing music. Because they want what you're able to do by yourself for yourself anyway, you know. Mm hmm. Was there um, any hiccups along your, your journey of becoming a full-time musician? Uh, I don't want to call I don't I don't think it's necessarily a hiccup, but it, it's definitely not easy. Like it's um, it's, it's kind of not normal, you know, to do anything that you actually enjoy doing and not having to do anything else. So it's definitely a grind. Um, anyone who said differently would be lying. Like it's, you know, it's hard even Mm -hmm. now as, um, routine as I am into the industry and how consistent even some of my work is COVID knocked everybody back, you know, just when that happened, it's just kind of like, Oh man, I feel like I'm back to square one almost, you know, thankfully, you know, I'm blessed that I do a bunch of things in music so I could pivot a little easier than some people. But guys who were just touring musicians, man, I was rough, you know, because you right. didn't tour it for a long time. Mm-hmm. So I think um, just know that it's an up and down industry. And if you can weather the storms, because there will be storms, um, you'll be fine. But you got to just know that those things are coming and prepare uh, for those types of things by being as flexible, I think, as you can. Me being flexible has helped me uh, sustain, you know, what I've been able to do. I was going to get into your first LP before I get into that. This is quote by um, Sonny Rollins, the the, the legendary jazz jazz musician. He he was talking about in terms of the creativity, how he would get just to paraphrase, he would get the, the chords as right as he could, and then he would just let the spiritual side of him take over. And to me, it was like simplistic. That approach was simplistic enough to where I could say like completely what he was talking about. Because, right. you know, it, so many, especially with jazz, it's a lot of improvisation. And you can kind of, I guess, another quote I had with Herbie Hancock uh, was talking about being mentored by um, and how he would play a lot of uh, third and seven notes, like the easy notes. And he said that one show he kept playing those same notes because and he was having writer's block playing those and Miles could hear him. And he said, Quit playing the butter notes. And so basically he's saying he's like playing safe notes or whatever. But yeah. is there anything with, with those quotes? Was there anything in terms of um, the creative process to, that helped you um your style, in terms of uh, honing in your skills and your style, like knowing specifically what style you played, was there uh, any kind of uh, on like what you want to be going going through a, a phase trying to learn stuff? Um, so w- with writing like my music, it came from an honest place. It came from stuff that was already in me. So I didn't have to like study a lot of based on genre or style, really. 
because pretty mm-hmm. much what came out is kind of what was already within. And I mm-hmm. think that's when anybody makes like their best stuff. And I think a quote from mm-hmm. Quincy Jones, he said, um, whenever he's in a session, he always leaves a door cracked so God could come in and fill in the rest, you know, if you will. You only could do mm-hmm. so much, but the special stuff um, that's bigger than you, you know, and mm-hmm. it's not nothing you can teach. There's not a class on a style or a genre that could teach certain things. And mm-hmm. uh, whenever I go back and listen to stuff that I've already done, when I re-listen to it, um, even now, like you talk about my first album, it's like I'm a better musician, in my opinion, today. And I know way more about music and engineering and techniques and all kind of stuff. But for where I was, it's perfect because that's just where that's honestly where I was at the time. And it's not a, so much about the, the technical things, you know, or it's, just, it's more about this is the experiences I wanted to share at that time. And I, mm-hmm. with all that I knew. Um, and all the resources I had, that was the best thing I had to present to the world, you know. So I mm-hmm. never really thought so much uh, on a studying side about preparing for those things. I think it was more so just like, this is where I'm at. Let me just get out these these visions and ideas and stories to people. So your first LP, the recital, mm-hmm. um, what was how did that album come about in terms of the creative process to make make well first what what made you want to uh make uh create an album well i could tell you what kept me from making an album like that in the beginning like why it took me as long as i did to even put out music under my name is because i wasn't a traditional frontman like i wasn't Mm -hmm. like just a rapper just a singer or just this one instrumentalist or kind of thing. So I was kind of like, who wants to hear a producer album? Because before that album, I had hundreds of, probably probably thousands of just beats and unfinished songs that I just had. And people would hear them be like, man, you can't just like waste these or they just can't sit in the computer. And I was like, yeah, I know I should kind of put something out and I remember I was in a band at the time before that before I did this album. So I was kind of like when you're working with other people, you're more restricted than, you know, working as that unit. And then when I had the time to just kind of put out whatever I wanted, I said, "Band, let me, you know, some songs do have my voice on it, whether it's rapping or singing. And then mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm also such a producer that I don't even want to hear myself on 13 or 16 songs, like on the recital, I would get bored of me personally. And I know <laughs> my friend over here would sound way better on this song than me trying to force myself on it. Right. So it was such a fun thing to collab with different artists and songwriters and, you know, to make these all, you know, how all of my albums kind of work. Um, because it was me being picky too on trying to find the best voice to fit that music that i think um whether it's me or not you know but all of it's going to be me because of uh, the core of the music mm-hmm. um in terms of what was your creative process different for every album from the first album to the sophomore album 
into prism was it what was the was there a lot of because i know a lot of artists they go through a lot of experience experience a lot of stuff because i know some that maybe five years or seven years ten years uh before they got to their next album because maybe a lot of life experiences happen was there any life experiences that were significant to you making each album uh yeah yeah i think i also i'll, I'll tell you this too like when it comes to titles and concepts I don't know those until I'm done. I've right. never done, this is what this album's gonna be called, and I'm gonna write music for it. Like I would if I was doing a film, right? If I was scoring a TV show or a film, I know the theme, I know the vibe. These, I, I leave it open on purpose, and I just start making music. I don't even say I'm making an album, because even the recital, like that wasn't, I just started making songs, and then before I knew it, I had enough for an album. And I was like, these all kind of mm -hmm. go together. You know, and that's how all my albums pretty much have been. They're just literally me just writing songs, whether by myself or with somebody else. And then when I feel like I have a collection of music, I'm like, okay, we should bundle this. <laughs> you know, the ones that make sense together and kind of mm -hmm. put an album out. But I think when it comes to writing certain songs and certain music, um, you know, each album is different because of what was going on in my life at the time, too. So there's certain different things going on um, between the recital to Prism and in between there, so much happened <laughs> and they kind of all have their own kind of like, you know, it's me, but they all have a different kind of tonality in some kind of way. Um, just because there are two year gaps too between all of them. Uh, and a lot of things could happen in two years. Right. Is there any songs from any of your albums that are super personal to, to get into? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, so I don't, I don't know how much you know about me or if you know this story, but uh, my three-year-old son, he passed away a few years ago. He was three yeah. at the time. So the song Prince Jeremiah on the recital it's a very special mm -hmm. song because I wrote that about my son when he was born. And that whole song was a true experience that kind of happened. Um, like there's a story I tell. I was on tour. I used to play for Charlie Puth um, for his mm -hmm. first album. So I was his mm -hmm. bass player for a while. And I remember I was on the road with him when I got the call. Your son's about to come. So that's there's a story in that song that talks about me getting a call, getting in a mm -hmm. cab, going to the airport, flying back, him being born as soon as I got back practically, like I had just made it. So songs like that are really special. Um, mm -hmm. um, Agape has a bunch of special songs um, that just happened just kind of um, organically and how they were made with the collabs, like um, how me and TJ made good to you. That's a whole story. Then you fast forward to like Prism, there's a song on there called Be With You. And it's like the second to last song on that album. Yeah. I wrote that song when I was probably 19 or 20 years old. And it just came out uh, now. You know what I mean? Like last year. Or whatever right. that album was. So 
that song sounded completely different at the time, but the lyrics were the same. I'd never changed the lyrics. I just changed the music to fit that album. I wrote that song because a lot of my songs have uh, dual meanings um, on mm -hmm. purpose. That song in particular, um, it's written on a surface level as like a relationship. It's like, I want to be with you. And it's literally like a relationship. Like, I want to be with you. Like, <laughs> you know, but at the same right. time, the relationship of uh, correlation with wanting to be with a creator, wanting to be with God. So that was that correlation. Then fast forward to when I'm doing Prism, um, when Prism was made after my son's passing, now it took on a whole new meaning of me wanting to be with him and missing my son. And it's really eerie because I wrote that song before, way before he was born. You know what I mean? It was almost like kind of prophecy in a way. Like I, the song was never supposed to come out until when it came out, even though it was written way before. Now it has such a heavier, uh, more meaningful meaning um, that a lot of people think I wrote it about him, and I wrote it way before he was even thought right. of. You know, right. so and and I remember you. Um, you had posted a video you talking uh, eulogizing your son, in which I'm um I was so moved by what you were saying because um a lot of people handle grief different ways, and sure. some people criticize the ways people grieve, but understanding what that really is, I really I was I was very much emotionally taken by what you were saying and I felt like it was powerful in the way you humanize because a lot of times we talk about uh, our loved ones that pass in in a sense to where it's like kind of hurtful to not humanize them but it, it hurts to remember them but when you did that you, you paired beautifully of your son and it was very emotionally touching to me because I was experiencing grief and loss as well um when you posted that so i was definitely touched by that and with him, i did feel a very spiritual connection to that and when you just said that about your son um jeremiah i i, I connected with that so uh, i i i love how you just put out there the way you did because uh that's how i felt it listen to uh, prism so it, yeah. I, I think it is a fruition thing i, I think it's just you know, something that happens, a divine force that, you know, pulls us into the music, but get to, um, you work with different kind of artists, I'm sure from different spans of genres. Is there any, yeah. um, artists that in terms of during that time period, dealing with something that heavy and emotional, was there any uh, artists that helped you? I mean, in terms of, uh, getting, not necessarily out of that space, but just helping healing that process. Was there any time you working help you process the healing? Hmm. So, so when his accident happened, it was in the beginning of the summer. And then I remember I had a couple things still on schedule to do later that summer. And it was really hard. I had to like really pray, like, do I need to not work right now? Or do mm -hmm. I go back to work? And ultimately, I decided to go work. And the main reason why, it wasn't to try to distract myself from what happened. But music has always been a gift from God. And it's one of the things he gave me uh, to bring, mm -hmm. put joy into my life. 
is what, you know, I would believe my son would have wanted me to do too. So I, in a way, I did take a little bit of time off. I took like a month off of not doing anything. But shortly after that, I went and I did a couple festivals and I flew out of town and played and I was okay. And everybody's like, are you going to be okay, dude? Like, you, you know, kind of mm-hmm. worried, but I was, um, I'm very honest with myself and knowing where I'm at. And I knew I was very capable to do that. And I was going to have to do that anyway. Like I was going to have mm-hmm. to get back to right. it, but it, it's, it's just mu- playing music as a part of the mission field for me. So it was just like, I'm going to get back at it. And then I took, what was really heavy was I had a big tour opportunity um, that year to work alongside with Jadena. And mm-hmm. later that same year in the fall, I ended up going out with him. And that was a gamble. Like, how was I going to be gone? If this wasn't for like a week, this is for like a month and a half at a time, you know. Right. Um, and honestly, working with those that camp and, and everybody knew what I was going through. And because, you know, I told, you know, that whole team, like, this is where I'm at. You guys want to use me and I can help with the show or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but everyone was very understanding and with me. And um, I was able to do that. And it, w- and it felt good to do that. And then later that year, we went to Africa. And that was really nice to do. Um, mm-hmm. Just to get away, like to not be home for a while, you know, mm-hmm. and to just... I barely played on that trip. Like it was the only tour I ever did where we were out for three weeks and I probably did only three shows the whole time. Mm-hmm. So it was the first time I had downtime when I traveled to actually um, relax on a gig, you know, because normally it's like right. you play, you might have one, maybe two days somewhere and boom to the next place, you know. But this right. was one of the first trips where I could just kind of like uh, soak in the culture, you know, go mm-hmm. sightseeing, and you know. Or just sleep mm-hmm. in my room and not have a call time and not have to get up, you know. So um, it was good. And then shortly after that trip is when I started writing um, Prism when I got back okay. home. Was there um, any in your in terms? Because I've been musicians in terms of like always to. The, the method to the madness you, in terms of like, do, did you have like a certain focus um, either now or in past tense of like what you wanted to do musically? And even before your albums, creating your albums, was your vision like very like intentional in terms of you creating? Um, and in what way, just in general or? Just in general, in terms of like, okay, I'm going to, you taking a chance and making your first album, was it like, okay, this is my vision and it's clear on what I want to do? Or was it just a panic process of you just living your life and all of the music to create those albums come to you? Uh, I guess it's a little bit of both. Like you kind of have a plan, but I learned not having a plan kind of sometimes is the best plan. And like, like I said earlier, I was just making stuff. Like I, I made stuff first because I liked it. And and one of the motivations for making an album for me was at the time, especially when Recital came out, um, I didn't like a lot of the music that was coming out. Like I really wasn't a fan out of, um, of a lot of the stuff that was coming out on the radio. 
So instead of mm-hmm. complain about it and go, man, these dudes are whack or nobody plays anymore or nobody really singing or, or whatever. Right. I was like, I'm just going to mm-hmm. make some stuff that fills in the gaps that I feel is missing in music. So that's kind of what right. that album really is. It's just like me um, wanting to play. Like I probably listen to my music more than anyone else has like after after mm-hmm. it's been released because I made stuff that I like to go back and listen to myself. And I feel like when you make music like that, um, the process is the reward, you know? Like mm-hmm. you just making the stuff is the, the trophy because yeah. I forever can listen to that stuff that I really like. To listen, I created albums I think are dope, you know what I mean? And I really like. Right. And if other people mm-hmm. like it, that's just a plus. That's just like, man, thank you. <laughs> I'm glad y'all like it too, but if I was the only person who liked it, me and whoever I worked on it with, like that's that's good enough, you know. And your statement is so rare because it's a lot of musicians that don't think like that because they a lot of musicians harp on what other music like a lot of times musicians play for other musicians, and I think that's oh, yeah. such the oddest thing because it's like in terms of awesome. working the crowd, like you have to get the crowd participation if you're so into oh i want this bass player this guitarist to love me you're kind of missing the moments of the organic moments with the lead vocalist the soloist or whoever you're working for or just the the whole ensemble of the band you're kind of missing those moments i think it correlates to not to really jump on church musicians but a lot of them go from church to um, playing a real professional gig and that energy doesn't match with that because you can't and, just, and just do riffs and sheds all through a- No, musicians <laughs> also don't buy music. So why would you right. make music for musicians? Exactly. Regular people, whatever that means, buy right. music. Right. They are your supporters. Musicians just kind of judge you. <laughs> <laughs> like just right exactly and that could be a great exactly. thing and a bad and, and a not great thing but don't make music for musicians because you'll be poor like you they don't we like, <laughs> we don't really buy music we make music <laughs> and we don't really buy it like straight up but the lady down the street who has no gifting of music she'll spend her ten dollars on you right you know mm-hmm. so you got to make music um, that connects with people. That doesn't mean you can't be musical, but you got to make mm-hmm. make it relatable. You got to package it a certain way. Um, even if it's the most craziest, flashiest instrumental stuff, it still has to come from an honest place of servant, of being a servant. I think because music mm-hmm. is a. I tell people this all the time. Being a musician is no different than being a waiter at a restaurant. It's a service job. We are not better just because we're on a stage than other people. If anything, mm-hmm. they're better than us. They paid money for us to to serve them, to give them something that they paid for. Right. That's mm-hmm. exactly how every other industry works. And we look at them like they're less, but we don't look at musicians like that. Like Musicians are just glorified servants. That's literally all we are. <laughs> and when we really get that in our heads, that, our, our purpose is to serve, then we don't think like all that, you know, that stuff you were saying, like, oh, I gotta have this or do it like this for this reason and that mm-hmm. reason. Um, we're doing it for humanity. We're doing it uh, to better people's lives. We're doing it to um, 
help people just wind down or whatever, whatever the thing is, but we're servants at the end of the day. And that's just not something you tell a church musician, you know, just because they're serving at their church. I mean, if wherever you do music, you're serving people. Right. They paid their money to have you. This sounds like a messed up way, but it's like dance monkey. It's like kind of like we paid you to be entertained. You're our entertainment. You're the jukebox. We got a quarter in you. We want to hear the songs. You know what I mean? Like, so you right. gotta um, um, when you think like that, you have a, a little bit more of a humility to your game. You know, and you, you don't have to be the spotlight. Uh, you know, I walk in. Mm-hmm. I walk in venues just thanking people. Like you know, thanking, thanking, especially right. like the sound team. And stage hands mm-hmm. and all that stuff because we're serving each other. It's a team thing, you know. Um, right. So yeah, and you're yeah, speaking on a lot of things. You're speaking on a lot of things that I think that could be improved in terms of the the music industry, in terms of like live shows, the singers mm-hmm. and musicians. Because a lot of times singers have a certain feeling about musicians, like oh, you know, you better make sure you're in the right uh, key. Yeah. But then also it could be a thing to where you know, some artists show up late or don't know the material or don't know the lyrics at all. It just show yep. unprepared. And then there's a concept of, cause I feel like there's a thing with singers and musicians to where sing, we all speak in a different language. Like I feel like musicians, like the way we communicate, we communicate, like we even need words. Sometimes it's like, huh, huh. Like we'll might hum a few <laughs> bars and it's like, okay, right. you want to do this? Like, huh. And then, Singers, they may have more of a broader vocabulary that's, you know, they're in sync with the background vocalists. And it's like, okay, we're going to stay in this pitch right here. You do the bottom note. I do the top mm-hmm. note. They communicate that way. And musicians don't operate that way. So it's like a, <laughs> don't even need a constant just, battle. Just talking about that with somebody uh, yesterday, we were talking about like musicians could have a whole, they could tell you everything you need to know about them without with just a head nod <laughs> right yeah. it's, it's just different yeah yeah and i think um speaking to that i want to know when did you know you've grown as a musician it whatever particular age or whatever time in your life but when did you know you you've grown as a musician um well i'm constantly growing i feel like i grow every time i finish something like Every time I finish a project, an album, a mix for somebody, a tour, I feel more grown than I was before because Mm -hmm. um, everything you do, it's one of it's a never ending learning thing. And every time you think you got it, something else hits you in the face. And whenever you think you've arrived, you're pretty much dead create creatively. And that's a scary place to be. You never want to think you got it all figured out. You never want to walk around like you're a master of something because there's still Mm -hmm. so much to learn. You know, there's musicians Mm -hmm. that are 80 years old just learning something that I might have learned when I was 19 years old, but it's just Mm -hmm. their journey or path, you know. So you're always Mm -hmm. learning something. There's too many things that we don't know, you know, even within our one field, if we only did one thing, those things take a lifetime to master. So, yeah, the growing and never really stops for me. Is there anything that you focused on? You started playing. Is it different from versus now as a, a veteran? 
that you, uh, you as far is as the like folk what was the yeah, what was the focus when you were younger versus the focus now as a veteran? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I think now whatever I put myself into, um, like I said this a little bit, but I realized that if someone called me to do something, they're calling me, like mm -hmm. all of me. You know, not just the musical stuff, because I really believe that your personality comes through your your playing and the things that you create, because mm -hmm. the thing is, um, I'm not sure where you live, um, but in L.A., everybody could play like mm -hmm. there's you could throw a rock and find a talented person who could play every single note that I already played. Um so a lot of times mm -hmm. it's not about being so good as a musician, but it's actually about being so good as a human that people want to be around and spend time with. So yes, I still practice and I still uh, work on my sound or whatever, but I pay attention to how um, I interact with people. I pay attention mm -hmm. to how um, showing up on time um, being the best servant to whatever environment I'm called to at that time, because that's where I've, I feel like I've gotten most of the calls I've got is because people don't mind dealing with me, you know, mm -hmm. because there are a lot of musicians that are amazing, but they're monsters to deal with. Right. Like, I don't even really want anybody that plays that good anymore. I'd rather have somebody who only knows two <laughs> chords but they're the sweetest person to be around. You know? Right. <laughs> so I think musicians, it's always good to practice, obviously, but work on your etiquette and your business because your business is like responding mm -hmm. to messages and emails, being on time to gigs and engagements, communicating. If you're going to be late, call write the person let them know don't leave people hanging just because you're so and so you know be it's simple it's the oldest right. thing treat people how you want to be treated and when you when you follow that out people will call you because the thing is when you do a tour for mm -hmm. instance you have a day a show day you are only going to play about an hour on average what are you doing with the other 23 hours you got to mm -hmm. spend with these people they got to hang with exactly. you. You got to be a decent hang. Nobody wants to be with freaking crazy maniac <laughs> issues here. Women problems, <laughs> drug problems, anger problems. Like nobody has time to babysit you. You know, like you need to be a, a joy to right. be around and make everybody's life easy. Those are the people who are working a lot. Those are the people who are getting the calls. Um, they're just not ahead of mm -hmm. you. And no tour manager, label, right. exec wants a headache, you know, because there's talent everywhere. They right. can find somebody to, to do the job easily. But you're 100 percent right. Hard for them to find you. 100 right. No one's you. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. That's what people. You're 100 percent right. Yeah, it's likability. That's the that's the currency with it all, and that's way more valuable than I think a lot of times pride. It's a lot of pride in this, this field, <laughs> like the musician. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, you can feel yourself. You can 
have confidence in your ability, but when pride, you know, takes over, is like you said, it's not nobody wants to be around an egomaniac all day. It's like you got to learn when to hone it in, and it's yeah, it's very exhausting because if you live off of praise and you have to live with the negative feedback as well, and a lot of times those, if you have a huge ego, a lot of times that when you don't get as many comments, it's going to break you. So mm, I, I don't, right. I just don't think pride, you, you should let your pride make or break your talent. So, mm. but yeah, you hit on everything specifically. It's a game that I like to play with all my guests. It's called what's wrong. Mm. Game. Um, what's it called? I pretty much the what's wrong with you game. Oh, okay. I, mm. I pretty much make up the rules as I go. Interesting. <laughs> and like so it's up to fail. It's no, I that's the game up for you to win. That's all the okay. game is. It's a, it's an either or game. It's not vocal comparison or artist comparison. It's just who do you play more on your playlist? And so mm, if you okay. say the right ones, then you don't know what you but you know, we'll we'll see how it goes. But uh, like I say, either or you can okay. count in the production credits, songwriter credits, all those are factors in what do you if you know all the songs of these artists you factored it into do you play them more so the first uh first one is uh marvin gay or teddy pendergrass uh marvin gay for me there you go next one is the whispers of the ojs oh man <laughs> that's hard <laughs> they're almost the same band for me <laughs> uh uh Dude, can I do it? Can it be a tie? Because they're literally like a tie for sure. me. Sure. You know, that was a. Okay. Uh, that, that's cool. Uh, Prince or Rick James? Uh, Prince, yeah. Okay. So, those uh, direct ball bonus questions, either way, you would have went with that. You would have got it right. Like I said, I got a little. I make up the rules as I go. So, it's a <laughs> little. You know, those, those are the easy ones. Now we get into okay. the part of the game where you have to get all these right. Or you're gonna oh. get a what's wrong with you. So no pressure, uh, <laughs> no pressure at all. <laughs> okay. Uh, this, this is Michael Jackson specific. Off the wall or Thriller. Dude, okay. Can I explain my answer? <laughs> sure, sure. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna pick Thriller, but the, here's why. Here's okay. Why. Good. Now, first of all. Off the Wall is one of my favorite albums. Like, it's practically okay. flawless. It's amazing. Okay. But the reason why I picked Thriller is because front to back, in my opinion, Thriller is the greatest album ever made on every level of making an album. When it comes to obviously how many awards and sales it did, um, to the songwriting, to the music production where Quincy was at the time is on another level and mm -hmm. then mixing and engineering to me it's the best mixed album uh, the engineer is a guy named Bruce Spadine and he did Off the Wall too mm -hmm. yeah but for sure he, um, that work is flawless on that album and it, how it impacted okay. me uh, growing up okay. it was one of the first okay. albums I got that I listened to and like did all the words and read the book and all that kind of stuff. Right. Okay. So you were supposed to pick wall. 
I'm uh, sure. And so, that. you know, okay, so I make up the rules as I go. And since you didn't pick what I, what, what I thought you were going to pick, you have at least 15 seconds to name me five songs off the of Thriller. Okay. I'm gonna start the countdown right now. You got you got about 15 seconds to name, or you know what? No timer. Just give me five uh, so, your favorite you. songs off of Thriller. So we got. Go ahead. I'm go ahead. Human Nature, <laughs> Thriller, Billie Jean. Okay. Beat it. Pyt. Okay. That's five. But those are those. So, okay. So you're you're. All those songs. So you're I'll playing more of those songs one. on your playlist you more than one. songs off off the wall. Those top five. What did you say? Okay. That was gonna give you a bonus one. I okay. was gonna say uh, Go ahead. the girl is mine, you know, <laughs> Paul McCartney. That that one too. But um But what was your I said go ahead. No, I said I just said go ahead. Okay. No, I said it. I said the girl is mine. Okay. So babe. I said, I, I was just wanting to know, I said, was that know. your favorite songs off the, okay, so Baby, so Baby Be Mine is in a choice from that album? Baby Be Mine is, here's the thing, okay. every song on that album, and the reason why, this is okay, the so, why that album, uh, song on that album those are, what are the top three that you listen to from that pick? Do you listen to uh, all five of those? I do listen to all of those, but obviously the really commercial ones are obviously over-commercialized. Um, right like when it comes to beat it mm -hmm. thriller billy jean but songs like baby be mine um the girl is mine you know like those kind of songs they're not as you know lady of my life those songs are classic mm -hmm. that's why i'm like even the whatever you would call the b cuts or the mm -hmm. fillers on their album there are none like even those are classics you know that's mm -hmm. why that album kind of holds over a lot of albums because it's just you know they recorded hundreds of songs for that album mm -hmm. and they ended up picking what was it nine songs or something right. like that i couldn't imagine doing it like that that would be too many choices for me i just think that album is just all the songs on it they just they pick the best songs i couldn't do that i couldn't record hundreds of songs to pick nine that would hurt my feelings like it's too many songs to you know pick from but i mean they picked the nine best songs and i even got to hear because i had the deluxe thriller album where it had commentary from q and they had a couple songs that didn't make the album that mm -hmm. should have made the album if it was longer you know it's just good man but mm -hmm. nothing against off the wall like literally that one easily could have been a tie like when i did the oj whisper thing because off the wall mm -hmm. sonically is amazing too it's just it's killing okay. and it's funky it's a different yes. style you know it's the, the errors kind of changed it was like a big turning point and for the time what he was doing at from a producer standpoint was super innovative how they were kind of getting mm -hmm. a lot of those sounds him and bruce you know for that album yeah i 100 agree listen I'm fair, so I'm, you're not going to get a what's wrong with you on the Thriller one, but you are going to get negative 17 points because the rules are you're supposed to pick what I pick. So, <laughs> negative 17. Yeah, no. Yeah, negative 17 points. No, no, what's wrong with you? You didn't get what's wrong with you. You didn't get it wrong. Okay. Okay, okay the next losing. one. Uh, <laughs> you're good. You just got negative 17 points. But uh, the next 
Aretha. You said who or Aretha? Patty or Aretha? Oh, Aretha. Okay. Okay. Uh, you're supposed to pick Patty. So no. Uh, way. How? The same. The same as with Thriller. I need you to name me five top top five. Give me give me your five Aretha songs. Just list oh, them all. Until you come. That back you got on a playlist. Sure. Okay. Until you come back to me. Um. Okay. Natural woman. Okay. Respect. Um, I okay. really love her version of Daydreaming, and I okay. really love her version of Amazing Grace. Okay, so we got five. Okay, so okay, you name me five. So, like so I, I said, I make up one better. Get my seventeen uh, back. You got. I don't give you negative fifteen. <laughs> I say about negative two because I love all okay. those songs that you just said. So. <laughs> You're not gonna. Or you could just hit. You don't. You don't get what's me. wrong with you on that one. Just a neck two, because or there's a, yeah, yeah, rhyming night or babyface. Yeah. Um, as a producer songwriter, I think I have to pick babyface. Brian's okay. great though. You didn't get what's wrong with you on that. You you answered great. Perfect. Great. Okay, this is a bonus. Uh, uh, Faith Evans or Mary J. Blige? Mm. Wow. That's a little tough. I think overall I have to go Mary J. though. But I love Faith too. Okay. You know what? It's okay. That's a bunk. I wanted you to pick Faith Evans, but it's fine. Uh, wait, let me ask this question. Do you have you album you like more? Which one? Between Faith What'd you say? and Mary, which debut album do you like more? Debut album. Between Faith Evans and Mary. See, yeah. it's not fair because I need to go back and re-listen to uh, especially Faith's debut album. So I automatically oh. probably would pick Mary, but I'm going to okay. re-listen to both of those again to refresh so I can have a fair choice. Okay. I feel like it's not fair right now because it's a little. I, okay. I, don't, I don't remember every song on there, you know? <laughs> right. You know what? The bonus, so it don't even get any way. I wanted you to be faith, but it's fine. Okay. Mary's a legend. I, I probably you know, would. Both of them legends, you know? Legendary. Right. Right. No, it's no problem at all. Throw another bonus in there Earth, Wind, and Fire or the Ohio. Uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire. There you go. Okay. So I've determined this is the conclusion of the what's wrong with you game. There's nothing wrong. I've determined there's nothing wrong with Mr. D Mills. You won the game. Oh man, come on. You know, a couple of discrepancies, it but it, you know. Thank you. Yeah, you know, I'm fair. You know, I want everybody to win the game. Myself, you know, I explain myself fairly. My <laughs> reasonings are logical, it, right? Yeah, I like yes, they're very reasonable and logical. <laughs> I loved your picks for your favorite top. You said Daydreaming. I was like, oh, it got me sold because that's one of my top favorite Aretha songs. You know, Till You Come Back to Me, you know, produced, written by T. Wonder, you know, musical royalty. But yes, yes, 
you won the game. Thank you so much for joining me on this podcast episode. You have really enlightened me um, to your creative process and how you created your albums. I'm a fan of your work. You have such a refreshing approach to the music and everything of your musical upbringing. No problem. Your, your background in music, I can hear it all through your music and it's refreshing your take on how you interpret music. Uh, all the different creative things you do being a multi-instrumentalist is very inspiring so I appreciate that and also you, uh, your your story uh, you know your son you know God rest his soul it, it, it was it very much moved me and not just in a musical sense you're you're inspiring but your humanity is inspiring so I just want to wow. say that thank you for that and for you thank being you. of service That's encouraging I appreciate oh that. no problem no problem at all. Your your service work in terms of being a musician is definitely felt and your humility into the art is respected from me. So thank you. Where, where can we uh, read? I know you have your, your albums available, but there's any new projects that we should be looking out for? Um, well, I'm always writing. So I, I, I don't have like an announcement of when the next thing under my name is. But I'll definitely mm-hmm. make some type of announcement on social media mm-hmm. or whatever, you know. Um, but I do produce for a lot of other people, and I have some songs that I'm working on for other people that are coming out. And I'll make sure to like, you know, if you follow me at D Mills Music, mm-hmm. it's usually the same handle on all my socials. I usually try to announce when uh, big things are happening. Right. And, and where can I follow you? Things are happening. Oh. <laughs> Right? Where can they follow you on social media? So at D Mills Music, that applies to like uh, Instagram, Twitter. I think Facebook might be at Danny Mills Music. And then you could always go to my website, which is dmillsmusic.com, and that should be able to link you to anywhere that I'm at. TikTok okay. too. I started using that. Um, so I post stuff mm-hmm. on there too every now and again. Um, same handle. I try to okay. keep, keep it simple and easy for people. Right. Once again, well, thank I you am so what much. I do. <laughs> right. <laughs> Once again, thank you for for joining me on this podcast episode. I think it's going to be one to where a lot of different artistic uh, creatives and not just musicians and and vocalists and singers that tune into this podcast. I think anybody that's aspiring to do do anything that's outside of the music industry can relate to your stories and how to persevere and get through different triumphs and still keep because i think people can get out of it so thank you again for joining me and this has been another episode of solstice podcast and we're out whether you need to be comforted soothed or relaxed soul savviness got you the ultimate getaway. You are listening to the Sounds of Soul Savviness podcast, where we are sure to put your mind, body, and soul at ease.